what drives us to unleash our best work. You know, I love being productive, but why? My guest this week has tapped into 50 years of research to find out what truly motivates us. This is the 5AM Miracle, episode number 382, The Hidden Forces That Drive Your Best Work with Todd Henry. Good morning, I am Jeff Sanders, and this is the podcast dedicated to dominating your day before breakfast. My guest today teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to everyday brilliance. He is the author of five books, including two of my personal favorites, The Accidental Creative and Die Empty. He speaks and consults across dozens of industries on creativity, leadership, and passion for work. And now here is my interview with Todd Henry. Jeff, it is so good to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's just dig right into your new book, The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces that Drive Your Best Work. I think it's a great topic for this podcast and one that I'm excited to to dig into. And let's just start with the, I guess, the most obvious question, which is what was your motivation to do this book about motivation? Uh, well, frankly, it was a completely accidental book for me, which uh, is, you know, my, my company is called Accidental Creative, which is hilarious, actually, because this was really sort of an accidental book. I didn't intend to write this book. Uh, in 2016, a friend of mine, Rod Penner, who had been a 20-year ma- uh, veteran of a management consulting firm, contacted me out of the blue one day, and he said, hey, I'd like for you to take this assessment I've been working on. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but when I hear assessment, typically the eyes roll to the back of my head and I start to get this glazed over look because, you know, I mean, like you probably and like many listeners, I've taken so many assessments and typically, you know, it's like another set of letters to attach to myself or like which Harry Potter house would I be in? You know, like those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I'm like, this is not going to be, you know, very useful. But I took uh, this assessment that um, was the motivation code assessment and it completely blew me away. Um, I discovered patterns in my life that I always suspected but didn't really understand. Um, I understood why certain leadership roles had really meshed well with my skill set, why others had not, why I'd struggled in some roles and had thrived in others, why some kinds of work you know is easy for me to tackle, other kinds of work uh, really causes me uh, night sweats. You know when I when I <laughs> think about it, and so I you know I think. Um, what this did for me is it really illuminated uh, a, a course of daily action for me that would help me be more engaged, more productive, and experience flow more consistently in my life and my work. Now, the problem was uh, I had already, at that point, signed a book contract for what was my fourth book, Herding Tigers, that came out in 2018. So I was kind of writing this book in the background um, along with the team that Rod had uh, been working with around Motivation Code, which, by the way, the, the book is based on over 50 years of research, began in the late 1960s with a guy named Arthur Miller Jr., um, who collected over a million achievement stories and had figured out some of the common ways that people talk about motivation, what, what it is that drives them, what it is that animates their best work, those moments of achievement when they had accomplished something, what was it about those moments that made those moments especially meaningful to them? And so he had compiled uh, all of this research, and then the the team that Rob was working with was a team of several PhDs who had figured out how to take that research and turn it into an assessment that could actually help you plot yourself on this grid of motivational themes. 
Uh, and so that was essentially what I had then taken was the, the assessment. So I worked with Rod and an entire team of, of people at Pruvio to work on this book, to write this book, and to bring the assessment, hopefully, to a larger audience. So that's kind of uh, the story of it, the story of the motivation of the Motivation Code. And I didn't intend to write it, but I'm really, really grateful that I came across this work. Yeah, I think that motivation is one of those really interesting kind of aspects of, of our career choices, of our kind of you know hobby decisions, like these things we get in ourselves into. I think that one thing I've seen or a question that I get recurringly over the years is people ask this question, like, you know, what should I do with my life? How do I know what drives me? Like, what if I haven't figured it out yet? And I'm just curious, like from your the research you've been looking into, like, why do you think it's so difficult for us to assess ourselves or why is it so hard for us to at least tap into our own strengths or weaknesses or areas where we can thrive? Like, why can't we figure it out ourselves? Well, I think one reason is that humans are story-making machines. We like to rationalize and explain away experiences that we have. We like to explain things in the context of what things should be rather than what they actually are. So I think sometimes we, you know, we say that we're motivated by things that we think we should be motivated by rather than things that we actually are motivated by. Um, we want to see ourselves as the kind of person we should aspire to be versus the kind of person we actually are. Um, and so when, when that happens, you know, we're, we're living within these artificial constraints, these artificial narratives. I often call them ghost rules, these invisible narratives that shape and define our engagement and limit where we're willing to look for ideas or limit where we're willing to look for, you know, potential contribution for value. And when that happens, unfortunately, we start to live with these, uh, these narratives about who we are in the world that simply aren't true. They're based upon what other people would want for us, not based upon how we're actually wired. And so I think to some degree, even searching to try to uncover what it is that really drives you, what it is that really animates your best work and provides engagement and satisfaction in your work is something of a brave trek to embark upon because you might, and this often happens with, with people that we work with uh, through Pruvio, you often discover things that you don't want to discover. You mm. often learn things about yourself that aren't convenient. They don't fit into a nice, neat narrative. Um, and you know, we like to tell people, listen, there are no bad motivational themes. You know, there are 27 themes that we've uncovered of motivation that live within six families. Sometimes people find out that they're driven by a theme that they don't like or they don't want to be a motivation. And we say, listen, there's no, there are no good and bad themes. It's all about how that theme interacts with and animates your work and animates your relationships and your experience of the world. Um, and so once we begin to frame it up for people and help them understand, listen, there, there are no good and bad themes. I think that that really changes people's perspective. But I think being dishonest with yourself, not really seeking to understand uh, is you know, not going to get you anywhere except for you know, helping you dig deeper into the rut you're, you may already be experiencing. Yeah, very true. I think that I think the whole idea that we kind of we play into what others want from us is just a, such a common thing. So let's break down some of these motivational themes that your book goes into. Kind of where did these themes kind of emerge from and where do we find pe most people fall into? Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier the research that has been going on for 50, over 50 years now um, that is comprised of uh, over a million achievement stories from people of all walks of life, professionals, you know, clergy, 
you know, basically anybody that you can, uh, you know, any profession you can think of, any level of an organization you can think of. Um, there's a story in there uh, from someone who you saw who fits that description. And as we analyzed these uh, achievement stories of these moments when people had accomplished something great in their life and they describe what it is that really animated their best work, what the team discovered is that there really are 27 unique ways that people talk about what motivates them. Uh, and so those 27 themes uh, over the course of time as, as they were sort of discovered, um, and by the way, they were discovered because the language was parsed and the language, you know, as, as we paid attention to the language, the way that people described it, what we noticed is that um, these 27 categories kind of emerged and we did, you didn't throw darts at a dartboard and say, well, that sounds like an interesting theme. I mean, this is really how people talk about. It. So that's why when people take the motivation code assessment, often on the other side of it, they'll say, you know, it's like, you know me, it's like mm. you know, you're using my own language. Well, it's because this is how people talk about these motivational themes when they describe what motivates them. So, uh, you know, it's funny how people often think that we're inside their head. The reality is there are generally about 27 ways people talk about what motivates them, and generally they talk about them in the same ways. So those 27 themes live within six families. So there's the visionary family. The visionary family is a family of themes that's typically about thinking about the future, about moving forward, about building things, about making progress. So they tend to be living at least mentally often in the future, and that's kind of what animates them and excites them and brings engagement to them. So these are themes that we call like achieve potential, make an impact, experience the ideal. Those are visionary themes. Then there's the achiever family. The achiever families, you can imagine, are themes where people are really animated, driven, motivated by getting things done, by accomplishing things. Um, and these are themes like meet the challenge, overcome, bring to completion, or advance. Um, th these are people who tend to only really be deeply satisfied when they are moving the ball down the field, when they're checking things off lists, when they're getting things done, right? Um, and then there's a family that we call the team player family. And again, as you can imagine, the team player family thrives on being around other people. They thrive on being in a team context. And so they tend to be driven by great moments of team accomplishment or team camaraderie. So these are themes like collaborate, make the grade, serve, or influence behavior. And then we have a family called learner. The learner family loves to learn things and then sometimes to teach them to other people. And that's really what drives them. So these are themes like comprehend and express, master, demonstrate new learning and explore. Then we have the optimizer family. The optimizer family uh, is a family of themes where people love to fix things. They love to make things right. They love to establish things the way they should be and make sure that they're right from the, from the get-go. So if you're starting an organization, you want to have at least one person motivated by establish you know, on your founding team because they're going to make sure all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted, all the legal paperwork, like everything's pap papered up from the start. Like they're the kind of person who's going to get it right from the beginning. So the optimizer family is comprised of themes like organize, make it right, improve, make it work, develop, and establish. And then the final family is what we call the key contributor family. And the key contributor family are people who are driven by a need to be close to the action. 
they want to be the person who's in the middle of things, you know, getting things done. They want to be seen as the, the go-to person often. So these are themes like evoke recognition, bring control, be unique, be central, gain ownership, and excel. So those are the six families, and I just actually mentioned all 27 themes. We have visionary, achiever, team player, learner, optimizer, and key contributor are the six families. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with my sponsor, Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. So at least two of those, I mean, really speak to me, the first two, visionary and achiever. I feel like that's most of what this podcast tends to focus on is, you know, looking forward to big goals you want to achieve and checking boxes and all of that kind of, you know, that aspect of, of the world. I guess I'm curious, once you, you go through these families and these specific themes and you like identify with one of them, what's kind of the next step once you know kind of, okay, I fit into this family of, of motivational themes, now what? Yeah, so the the real value of motivation code really lives at the theme level. So even though we we talk about families, really families are just clusters of themes that share a little bit of DNA. But typically, we won't say to somebody, you're a visionary. What we'll say to them is, your top motivational theme is achieve potential, and your second motivational theme is, let's say, overcome or organize or make it right, right? So our motivation code is the combination, the unique combination of top three to five themes that we discover um, through assessing you. So um, motivational, it's not about your top theme or even your top couple of themes. It really typically is about your top three to five themes and how they interact with one another. There are 17,550 possible combinations of top three themes. And so somebody who, for example, let's say that somebody is driven by uh, number one is meet the challenge, right? Which means they want to tackle challenges. Something has to feel challenging to them or else they're not going to be engaged. It's not going to activate their motivation unless it feels like an immediate challenge to them and something that they can accomplish, uh, that they can see a a, a way to accomplish uh, in in the the near term. Um, You know, somebody who has that as their top theme and let's say has uh, be central, 
as their number two theme, well, they're going to want to meet the challenge, but they're also going to be the one who's leading the charge, meeting the challenge, making sure everybody knows I'm at the center of the action. I'm the one that's making it happen. I'm the one who's you know contributing the value here. Like It's going to be very important to them. Whereas somebody who has a number one meet the challenge and a number two collaborate, for example, is still going to want to meet that challenge, but they're going to seek to do it in the context of team, right? So they're, they're going to be most gratified when they're meeting challenges with other people, other people who can contribute to the cause. And when there's a, a good degree of affection and collaboration and camaraderie on the path toward accomplishing that objective of meeting the challenge. So you can see how, depending on what your top couple of themes are, it could have a very different impact on how you structure your life and your work to achieve maximum engagement. If collaborate is one of your top three to five themes, and you spend all day in a cubicle in the back of an office <laughs> cranking through tax returns or something, that's your job, you're probably not experiencing a high degree of engagement in your work. You're probably not terribly satisfied with your situation. And listen, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter what the perks are, what your title is. That's not, I mean, that might animate you for a short season, but eventually that will wear off and you'll be left just with the work itself. And so this is why understanding what themes uniquely drive you is so important because how those themes interact with one another and modify one another makes a huge difference in terms of how you should structure your day, but also how you should approach your work. So I'll give you an example from my life. So um, meet the challenge is actually one of my top three themes. Um, it's actually my number two theme. And typically it's what we call my activator theme, right? Meaning this is the theme that often gets me in trouble, but it usually is also what activates my engagement. So if you come to me, Jeff, and you say, Todd, I don't know if this is possible, but I'm already in. I don't care what comes after the butt, I'm already there, right? Like it doesn't matter because that's something that really activates my, my motivation. But here's the thing about meet the challenge people. There's also something we call a shadow side to each of these motivational themes. So for me, the shadow side for meet the challenge specifically is if something doesn't feel challenging, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm probably mm. not going to engage until it does feel challenging. So one, one thing that often happens with Meet the Challenge people is I will put work off until I only have a couple of days left because at that point it starts to feel a little more challenging because now mm -hmm. I know I have to get it done in a very short time frame versus maybe I had two weeks before where that doesn't feel very challenging to me. So as somebody who writes books, you can imagine, Jeff, this can be a problem because mm -hmm. it would be really easy for me to put off writing books until it starts to feel challenging. But that's not a really great strategy if you, write, you have to write a 70,000-word manuscript in a year. So what I do instead is I say, hey, every day before 9.30 a.m., I'm going to write 500 words of my book. That feels challenging. It's something I can tackle it's not going to be easy, but it's something that's very accomplishable. It makes helps me make progress toward my goal, and it feels like a challenge, which is the big thing. So understanding that about myself helps me structure my work in a way that activates my core motivation, helps me make progress on my goals, and helps me avoid the shadow side of potentially procrastinating until the work starts to feel more challenging. And you can do that with any of the motivational themes once you understand what it is that drives you. You can begin to structure your life and your work. It's not about finding the perfect job. It's about learning to structure the work that you're already doing 
according to what animates your best work or what engages you. Yeah, I was just going to ask, it sounds as though this kind of this framework for viewing how you work, it could lead to a career change if your your current job is not working. But it sounds like what you're really talking about is that you just approach the work you're already doing differently. So your day is structured in a way that suits you better. Do you find that most people when they approach their work with this, that they end up changing jobs or they, they just actually change the way they do their job? Well, it certainly is a combination of, of both, but I would say what we always encourage people to do, anybody that I'm t- talking through this with, I will say, listen, you might very well go jump into another job and find you're right back where you are right now. You know, mm. we all suffer from the grass is greener syndrome where we think, oh, out there is the perfect combination of tasks that will keep me motivated all day. No, no, absolutely not. Every one of us who's done anything meaningful in any capacity or had any kind of a job where we have a lot of responsibility knows you have to do things you don't want to do in order to do those jobs, right? Um, It's more about learning how to animate yourself to activate that motivation so that you bring more of your best work to what you do every day. Um, but, But that said, now there are people who discover, you know what, I am driven to collaborate. And you know what, I do spend 99% of my time in a cubicle, in a back room, cranking through paperwork. Well, if that's the case, yeah, it might be either you need to have, and we, in the book, I actually write about how to talk to your manager about restructuring your work so that you're activating those core motivations more consistently. But if that's not a possibility for you, it very well could be. You know what? You just need to find a new line of work or find a new job that will give you more opportunity to collaborate with a team, to be a part of conversation, that kind of thing. That's just one example But I think more often than not, we can learn to bring our motivation to our work rather than waiting for our work to motivate us, which is what so many people do. And that's why people end up in trouble because they hop from job to job, but they never really learn how to do hard things because they're always waiting for their job to naturally motivate them, which typically isn't going to happen. Yeah, actually, one of the questions I was just thinking of was that this idea of, you know, we find times in our lives where we're not motivated. We might feel stuck or our jobs are not inspiring or we have this like, you know, those lulls we get into. Like, Is there a way to take this to to actually like tap into what motivates you and then you can you know cultivate your own motivation internally? Or how do you find that you know we can kind of get through those difficult periods? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that and that really is the the core of what excites me about this work is you're experiencing patterns of engagement and disengagement right now that you probably don't have words for. Um, You don't understand how your environment is affecting your natural motivation. But once you begin to see those patterns, it's like you're going to see them everywhere. And so what excites me about understanding motivation, specifically as it relates to motivation code, is that it's almost like you're living in a foreign land where everybody's speaking a different language and you're just kind of reacting. And then suddenly, once you understand the language, you can kind of understand what's going on around you and you kind of have context. And that's what happens when you begin to understand motivation code. You begin to see like, oh, this is why I always have conflict with that person. It's because I'm driven to explore and that person is driven to advance or to bring to completion. And so I'm always saying, well, what if we try this and that? Have we looked at this? Have we asked that question? And have we uh, explored this area over here? Maybe we should go back and rethink this entire project. And that person's saying, are you nuts? Are you crazy? (laughs) We just need to get this done so we can move on to the next thing because that's what drives them, right? 
and we're talking past each other because we don't understand that we're fundamentally driven by different things. Once we understand that, we can have a meaningful conversation and say, hey, listen, I feel like we need to take a week to explore a bit. I'm going to activate my core motivation for a while so that we can make sure that we're doing the right things. And then I promise you, I'm going to turn over, turn it all over to you and we're just going to like crank it out, get it done, check it off and move on. But we need to leverage both of our gifts, both of our motivations in the course of doing this work. So um, you know, what I find is that it, it sort of understanding this unlocks so many of the hidden dynamics. That's why uh, the, the subtitles discover the hidden forces that drive your best work, because these forces are right there underneath the surface. Once we begin to unlock them and decode them, it just it's like learning a language that everybody's been speaking, and suddenly now we can speak it as well. We understand the patterns that are playing out around us. Yeah, it sounds like this kind of assessment would be really beneficial for teams. And now if everyone on the team was, you know, in touch with themselves and knew their own motivations, that those examples you just listed where that conflict would take place, that those things could be mitigated, you know, to a large degree because everyone's on board with this. Have you found that this has this been applied to teams like that and, and tested or do you know if that would play out like that? Yeah, that's actually that's actually fundamentally what we're doing now at Pruvio because historically the um, the the work has been applied in the context of coaching and counseling and with individuals uh, for for a number of years. And we have three hundred certified uh, motivation co practitioners. You know, tens of thousands, more than hundred thousand assessments have been done at this point. So it's traditionally been with coaching communities. You know, uh, coaches who are working with individuals. You know, executive coaches and whatnot. And, and we're now in the process of rolling this out to teams and helping teams understand how these dynamics affect our collaboration, our productivity, our engagement uh, from, a, from a personal and an organizational standpoint. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think about your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should check out my sponsor, Babbel. Finally achieve your new language goal in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, and studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me to learn real-life conversation skills in German, including ordering food and asking for directions, without having to rely on language apps while traveling. Now, here's a special limited-time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash 5am. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash 5am, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 5am. Rules and restrictions may apply. Do you think that, or have you seen that people tend to change their motivations over time? Because I know that, like, for example, when I was younger, um, I did a lot of, like, high school and college theater, and I was involved in a lot of group activities, and I, I viewed myself as very extroverted. 
And then as I've gotten older, I tend to find a lot more joy from be, being alone. And I'm wondering, like, do you see changes over time with someone's life depending on their environment or depending upon, you know, the kind of work they're doing? Because I feel as though in my own life, I know that what drives me today is very different than what used to drive me. Yeah. So this is the interesting thing. What we've discovered is that motivation code tends to be persistent over time, hmm. meaning uh, and we've had enough people retake the assessment after a number of years because it's been around for so long, right? We've had enough people retake the assessment over uh, the course of many years. And what we find is while there might be a little bit of a shift in their top, say, you know, three to five motivations, like number four might be number two now, and number three might be number five. Generally speaking, it's very, very rare for a motivation that is low on your ranking of one to twenty-seven that suddenly becomes prominent, you know, in mm. your in your ranking of one to twenty-seven. Um, we've discovered that mo- what drives you now is very likely to have been what drove you ten years ago or fifteen years ago. Um, now, the way that we get to that is by having people tell personal stories, moments of achievement, and then asking them questions about those moments of achievement. So, typically, when people take the assessment and they share three moments of achievement, typically it's something from the past. So for example, when I took it, it was like something from high school. And then there was something from like midway through my career. Then there was something from like the very recent past. Um, So as I'm thinking about all three of those things, I'm thinking across a very broad spectrum of my life uh, and, you know, trying to describe what it is about those moments that were especially satisfying to me. And so um, you know, what we've discovered is that when people think about something from say high school or something from college and then something from maybe, you know, two years ago, um, typically the way they describe them and what, what drove those moments of engagement are, are very similar, at least fairly similar. Um, so it is pretty persistent over time, at least according to what we've seen in the data. I mean, in terms of, I guess, similarities between people, I would imagine that people who are, let's say, for example, in leadership roles or CEOs of companies, do those ten, like, kinds of people tend to have the same types of motivations where they want to be you know, the leader in the middle of things, making things happen, like, and, and they find themselves in those roles because that's what motivates them? Like, does that tend to play out that people who are in similar roles have similar you know, ways that motivate them? So what we've discovered is that there are people at any level of any organization who are driven by any number of different things. So there are, you know, you would, you would think of a role like, for example, serve, which is about being about other people. It's about meeting other people's needs, um, you know, making sure people are taken care of. You would think that that would be somebody who is typically in a role like, you know, administrative assistant or, you know, Mm. in some role where they're doing customer service maybe or something like that. Um, but I mean, we've discovered there are CEOs of organizations who are driven. One of their top themes is to serve, meaning they love to be about other people, to serve other people, to make sure other people's needs are met. So they're the one who always brings the bagels to the meeting, right? Or they're the one taking, <laughs> co- even though they're the CEO of the company, they're the one bringing the coffee to the meeting for everybody calling, calling around, getting coffee orders because that's what they're driven to do. Um, and so, you know, your motivation doesn't necessarily determine what your vocation or your occupation should be, but it definitely will affect your experience of that vocation or your experience of that occupation. And so um, I have a friend who's, you know, very successful um, person, and you can just tell that he he loves to 
be about other people. He loves to serve other people. He loves to just be involved in their life. And the profession he's in is not the kind of profession you tend to think of. Somebody who's just very gregarious and loves to serve people and, and whatever, you would never match that up. You would think it would be somebody who's you know, all about numbers and metrics and being driven and all, mm-hmm. but you can just tell from this person um, that they are all about other people. And that would be a great example of, you know, if you were just to sit down and say, oh, these motivations line up with these professions, you would never put this person in that profession. And yet here they are and they're thriving. Um, and so it's just, to me, again, another example of we can be motivated by any number of things and succeed in the job that we're in now. If you are primarily driven by optimized type themes, like make it right, make it work, you know, um, thing, things of that nature, and so you're primarily looking for problems to solve, and you're being brought in as the senior leader of an organization that's blowing everything up and building brand new things, uh, and there's nothing to fix, you just need to blow it up and start over again, maybe that's not going to be the best role for you because you're not going to be drawn to doing the kinds of activities that the, the organization's going to need. So we have discovered, especially among senior executives, that sometimes when they go through the motivation code assessment and they're looking maybe at a, at a job, at a potential role, a senior level role in an organization, you know, we've been able to help them navigate that decision by saying, eh, this may not be a good fit for you given your natural desires and aptitudes and motivations because you're going to be looking for problems to solve. And really what this organization needs is for somebody to be a visionary, somebody to really be building out new things, to be thinking about wide open spaces. And that's really not the way that you're naturally wired. So it might not be the right fit for you um, when you start talking about like a senior leadership role. So there is some application, you know, in terms of understanding how your motivation aligns with your vocation, but that doesn't mean that only certain kinds of motivations will thrive in certain vocations and vice versa. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and also I was thinking in, in terms of, I guess, the themes people tend to associate themselves with, are there ones that are like really popular and very common among most people? Or have you seen this more like or spread out among a lot of people? It is. I mean, the people tend to be spread out across all of the across all of the families. Um, we find that um, there are um, there are a couple of families of themes where we tend to find people are uh, you know that there are more people in those families of themes that at least ha- have high representation. Um, you know, somewhere in the top of their motivation code in those families of themes, but we've you know, sort of tried to accommodate that in terms of how we look at the data. Um, and we've, you know, over the course of time have perfected the methodology. Uh, you know, we, we are asking people for achievement stories uh, when we do the assessment. So you can imagine that, you know, when we're talking about achievement, that that achiever family of themes <laughs> might be represented a little more than some of the other families, um, which is true. Um, because again, because of the nature of what we're asking people, but, but again, uh, you know, the team of, we have four PhDs on our team who have been looking at these numbers for a very long time. And so we've figured out how to read that in a way that, that makes sense and doesn't overweight achiever, uh, when we, when we actually do the assessment. 
Yeah, I find that when I take assessments like these, I tend to, I guess, check the boxes that I already think I'm going to check, if that makes any sense. Like I've already predetermined in my brain who I think I should be, which I think might be, I mean, this may be an issue, I think, with, you know, getting accurate survey data, but my tendency would be to, I see the word achiever and just assume, yes, that's me, check that box. But I, I'm not totally certain if that's actually true about me. I just know that that's what I do when I take assessments. Well, and that's why we don't, that's not how we, uh, and I, sorry, I didn't mean to, to no, spend so much time talking about the assessment. That's why we don't ask those kinds of questions in the mm. assessment. We ask it as kind of an end around. We use language that people have used to describe these motivational themes over time. Um, and, you know, we, we use some of the most common phrases that people have tended to use over time. I want, you know, one of the things that has been uh, you know, a challenge for us is people want to translate motivation code into other languages. And what's difficult about that as it relates to data is you can't just translate the phrases into other languages because oh. the phrases we use in English have certain connotations to people. And again, we have decades of experience with this language. Um, and so it's really difficult to just translate that word for word into some, because it has, might have a different connotation in a different culture. Right? right. Um, and the data might might not be the same. And so um, that's why we don't just say, so do you think you're an achiever or do you think you're a visionary? Right. Like we, <laughs> we tend to ask end around questions that get us there based upon what we've seen from people over the course of decades in terms of how they answer these questions. Yeah, that makes sense. I like the the, the work around there in terms of asking about stories. I think that's yeah, probably a lot more accurate. Uh, Todd, this has been this is an amazing book. I'm, I'm excited for our listeners to dig into more of it and to find their own motivation. And so where can they get a copy of the book? You can buy the book anywhere books are sold. Uh, you can check out the Motivation Code assessment and all our work that we're doing at Pruvio at motivationcode.com. Um, and that's where you'll find uh, the, the assessment. If you buy the book, there's actually a version, a free version of the assessment included with the book. Um, so you can actually uh, do that as well. And um and yeah, uh, really excited. Would love to have you check out the work. Is what we've discovered is that as people unlock their motivation code, it unlocks so many streams of engagement and opportunity in their life that they never even knew were possible for them. Very cool. Love that. We'll make sure I have those links in the show notes page this week. But uh, Todd has been excellent once again. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. And for that great action step this week, find out what motivates you by picking up your copy of The Motivation Code. The more you know about yourself, the more you know which direction to go, which career path to follow, or simply how you want to work each day. The forces that drive you may not be as obvious as you think, so find out what truly inspires you to excel. Go to jeffsanders.com slash 382 for a link to that book, as well as every other link discussed this week on the show. And that's all I've got for you here on the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast. Until next time, you have the power to change your life, and the fun begins bright and early. Hey, it's Jeff Sanders, and I'm here to tell you about Greg McEwen and his amazing show, The Greg McEwen Podcast, part of the Yap Media Network. Want to achieve more by doing less, all while avoiding burnout? You can design a life that really matters with Greg McEwen, author of New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. 
His mission is to help you advocate and negotiate your way to remarkable results. Every Tuesday, Greg discusses one key topic he finds interesting and valuable through the lens of the essentialist. Every Thursday, he invites thought leaders, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and people like you for inspired weekly conversations focused on learning how to do what matters first and do less but better. His content will stir your thoughts and spark inspiration and action. And his British accents, well, that's just the cherry on top. Subscribe to the Greg McEwen podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform.